Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Law of the Trigger, written by Giles A. Lutz. Only a six-gun stood between him and Boot Hill. When the SOS came from his partner, Holt Spainhauer knew he had to hit leather for Main City, but he hated like hell to do it. Spainhauer had used his fast gun to clean up plenty of other towns, and he was tired of all the killing. But there was something even more sinister about Main City. When Spainhauer met murder on the road to that frontier town, he began to realize just how violent a job lay before him. By the time he was there just a few hours, he'd been appointed marshal of what they called Claim Jumper Town. Then the boys who ran its streets and he locked horns, and something had to give. For by then, Spainhauer knew his only ally was his low-slung pistol, and the law of the trigger. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Law of the Trigger. Chapter 1 Holt Spainhauer caught a glimpse of the town from the crest. It lay at the foot of the mountainside, the newness of its lumber still flashing bright in the sunlight. He absently stared at it as he rolled a cigarette. So this was Main City, a town founded on a mining strike, but destined to have a longer life than most mining towns, for it supplied needs other than mining. The valley flattened out beyond the town, and there would be ranches in that valley. Winter grazing would be good there, and in the summer cattle could be shoved to the higher benches in the mountains. Yes, Main City had a chance for permanency, but it would not be based on the original frantic efforts that founded it. After man was through pitting the earth and was convinced he could wrest no more ore from it, he would turn to a slower pursuit, a more profitable one for everyone concerned, Spainhauer thought, for so very few ever made money from a mining strike. There would be a certain amount of exodus from the town when the mining was depleted, for that breed of man has to follow a dream over the next mountain. But for the people who remained, there would be a slower, much more stable growth. He let the horse stand for a long time, for the climb to the top had been rough. He had never seen Main City in his life, but he knew a great deal about it, knew from the five-page letter in his bedroll. A man's dream was in that letter, and his agony, agony that the dream was being crushed, that letter and friendship had pulled Spainhauer some two hundred miles out of his way. He threw away the cigarette and thought with sudden violence, I don't want your damned job, Dorsey. I've had too many jobs like it before. There were two turbulent years at Banner and one before it at Junction. Only the names of the towns were different. All else was the same. The greed and the passions it engendered, the hating and the killing, both kinds of killing, the necessary and the unnecessary. I've seen too many fights, Dorsey, he thought. A man can get weary of fighting. A man can get weary of people who made the fighting necessary. Even now he was tempted to turn back, but the years spent in building a friendship had too strong a pull. A man went when a friend called, or there was no basis to the friendship. He sighed and lifted the reins. Come on, boy, he said to the horse. We'll get you something to eat and talk to Dorsey. Spainhauer was tall with a hard leanness of body, though that leanness was slumped now because of the hard trail hours pressing upon it. He rubbed his knuckles across the beard stubble. He should have shaved this morning, and he swore in a burst of mild irritation. 
Already he was thinking of the appearance he would make to the town. Already he was thinking as though his taking the job was a positive fact, and it was not. He would talk to Dorsey Evers. Beyond that, he would promise nothing. Blue-gray eyes looked out over high cheekbones. His mouth was big and usually good-humored, though at the moment bone weariness pulled at the corners of it. Sitting slouched in the saddle, there was nothing to indicate the deadly killing force he could call upon, if necessary. He had been gifted with fast hands and an accurate eye. Not a gift, he thought morosely, a curse. He let the buckskin pick its way down the roughly hewn mountain road. Somewhere to his right he could hear the brawling of a stream as it tumbled down the descent. Both man and animal could use water, but he had no intention of forcing his way through the thick undergrowth that matted the hillside. Too much of that undergrowth was thorny, and passage through it meant torn clothes and flesh. Mountain roads and streams followed the terrain, turning and twisting as the land dropped. Not too far ahead of him there should be a meeting of the two. He came around the bend, and for the space of a hundred yards or so the land flattened. The stream crossed the road at the far end of the bench. An ancient wagon was drawn up beside the water, and the two tired old horses were out of the traces, eagerly lipping at the grazing the bench afforded. An old man looked up at the sound of Spainhower's approach. He was hunkered down beside a small fire, tending something in a frying pan. He set the pan down and waved at Spainhower. Just in time, he called. There's fresh meat in this pan. Spainhower's belly rumbled, reminding him it had been a long time since morning and a scanty breakfast. The smell of the cooking meat reached him, starting the juices in his mouth. He threw off and said gratefully, I'll take you up on that. The meat lay browning in its juices, and the old man waited another moment before he lifted it out of the pan. He stirred in some flour, and the gravy thickened. He cut the meat in half, placed it on two tin plates, and poured the gravy over it. He added a chunk of sourdough bread and handed one of the plates to Spainhower. That ought to do it, he said. Weather and years laid their tracery of deep lines in his face. It was hard to determine his age, but Spainhower would put it close to seventy. Even the blue of his eyes was beginning to fade, leaving them watery and pale. His hands were gnarled and as hard as hammers. Those hands had known years of unremitting toil. I'm obliged, Spainhower said and took the plate. Neither man spoke as they ate. The old man got up, took the coffee pot off the fire, and poured a cupful for Spainhower. It was not good coffee. It was too thick and too strong, and Spainhower suspected the grounds in that pot had seen long service. He finished the cup and said, That hit the spot. The old man beamed his pleasure. A man hates to eat alone. He thrust forth a horny hand. Name's Micah Janelson. Spainhower took the proffered hand and said, Holt Spainhower. You going to Main City? Nelson asked. Spainhower nodded. Got business there? Nelson asked it with an old man's inquisitiveness, and Spainhower did not resent it. He said, Going to see an old friend, Dorsey Evers. You know him? Hell yes, I know him. Dorsey and me put many a shovel full of dirt through a rocker. He made the strike that put Main City on the map. He's not a real mining man, though. Nelson shook his head. All his interest is in that town. How come you know him? You don't look like a mining man. Spainhower said, Dorsey pulled me through a couple of rough years after my father died. 
Two years, when a 14-year-old kid was bewildered and resentful, when that kid could have turned mean without the guidance of someone caring. That was his unpaid bill to Dorsey Evers. That was the halter rope pulling him to Main City. Nelson was bursting with some kind of news, and he could no longer hold it. He said, Dorsey was out of town, and I didn't see him. You tell him he isn't the only one who can make a strike. Tell him I just got the assay back. I got a neat little claim. Spainhower Grandin said, I wish I could buy you a drink. If I stay in Main City, look me up. We'll celebrate then. I'll remember it, Nelson said and picked up the plates. He scoured them out with sand, poured out the dregs in the cups, and wiped them out with the end of a flour sack. His elation seemed to disappear all at once, and he said, Wonder what drives a man. All my life I've been looking for it, and now that I've found it, it won't really make any difference. I've got neither chick nor kin, nobody to leave it to. A man's belly can only hold so much food and so much liquor. He can only wear one shirt at a time and one pair of pants. But I'm telling you, when I held a chunk of that ore, it was the biggest thing in my life. His leathery old face suddenly split in a grin. I guess I can buy better liquor and a better pair of pants. Spainhower nodded and said, Sure. He helped Nelson hitch up the team, and the old man's words ran through his mind. What was it a man chased all his life, and why was it that he could never really find it? He could find the substitutes, all right, but it did not take him long to recognize the imitations. Nelson climbed up on the box and cracked the reins. He nodded to Spainhower and yelled, hey Get along, you lazy old bones! The horses threw their weight into the collar, and the old wagon creaked up the grade. Spainhower watched until it was out of sight. Micogen Nelson had wandered a lonely trail. Now nearing the end of it, he knew it was not the answer. The same answer comes to a lot of us, Spainhower thought violently. The trails are different, but we come to the same answer. He rolled a cigarette and moodily smoked, putting off the moment when he would climb back into the saddle again. He was moving toward his horse when he heard the rifle shot, thin and distorted because of the distance. It came from up the mountain, and the sharper cracking sound was different than the heavier report of a handgun. It could be a hunter, or something else. It came from the direction Nelson had taken, and Spainhower did not hesitate. He owed the old man that much. He spurred up the grade, and though it seemed a long way, it could not have been more than a half mile. The team had apparently tried to run after the shot, but the upgrade had soon taken the fright out of them. They stood in the middle of the road, still pointed toward the top, their heads bobbing and weaving. There was no one on the box. Spainhower found Nelson in the wagon bed. The slug had slammed into his chest, knocking him backwards off the seat. It had been quick and merciful, and Spainhower doubted the old man knew what hit him. He stared at the glassy eyes, and a helpless rage shook him. The mountainside mocked him with its silence. All about him the brush grew thick and almost impenetrable. He did not even know the direction of the shot. He did not know where to start looking. He looked back at the body. He had shared a meal with the old man and talked with him, and in the talk a tiny part of each life had been revealed. It made its bond, Spainhower realized. It was the basis for this rage he knew. It was awkward turning the team and wagon on that narrow road, but Spainhower managed it. He tied the reins of his horse to the tailgate and headed the team downward. 
Micah Janelson was returning to Maine City much sooner than he had anticipated. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Law of the Trigger. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.